Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. We are in a long series we've been in for a long time now in the Book of Romans, an exegetical series. If I'm counting right, today's part 11. Somebody told me it's part 12, but it's either 11 or 12. <laughs> Uh, and so we're continuing on through uh, Romans chapter 8 today, uh, a second part of Romans 8, uh, verses 15 to 17. So if you have your, your scriptures with you, we're going to be read Romans, reading Romans 8, beginning in verse 15. And, and, and Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, says this, The spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption, the sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and and co-heirs with Messiah. If If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Now the overall theme of Romans chapter 8 is the Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh. He's mentioned at least 17 times in this one chapter. Uh, and note this phrase in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Now, in most languages, including Greek, nouns, unlike in English, most languages, nouns are either male or female or neuter. And therefore, when you have a pronoun being used with the noun, like he, she, you, it has to agree with the gender of the noun, the, the noun that it's modifying. And likewise, the pronoun would be either male or female or neuter, depending on what the noun is. Uh, but what's fascinating and, and what's very significant uh, is that throughout the Brit HaDashal, throughout the New Testament, whenever the word spirit, pneuma, is used, which in Greek is neuter, you think that according to proper Greek grammar, the pronoun should also be neuter. So, for example, it should say, the spirit itself testifies with our spirit. But the New Testament doesn't say this, ever. Rather, the scriptures say the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. The writers of the New Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trample on grammar, if you will, for the sake of the truth. For the sake of faithfully revealing a greater truth. Thus, the New Testament is clearly stating the Holy Spirit is not just some impersonal force or some emanation or some green mist, but is a person, is God himself. This is God himself who comes to live within you and enable you to personally experience and relate to him on an intimate level. And Romans 8 is all about this. But this chapter is also about about assurance. And all throughout this chapter, Paul was continually assuring the Jewish and the Gentile believers in Rome that they really belong to God. Indeed, he begins the chapter in verse 1 by saying, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Uh, And he talks about this all throughout the whole chapter. And at the end of the chapter, he concludes and summarizes the chapter again by talking about assurance. And he says this at the very end in Romans 8.38. For I am convinced, neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither present nor future, uh, nor any power, neither height nor depth or anything in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God, the sin Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord. Amen. Now that's assurance par excellence. Hallelujah. That's assurance to the skies. So, Roman 8, we'll put this on the overhead, it's about these two great themes in Romans chapter 8. Number one, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And number two, your, the believer's assurance. Now, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? We'll put this on the overhead as well. There's a lot of works of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he sanctifies us, he makes us holy. Another work, number two, uh, he empowers us, he gives us strength. Uh, he, he regenerates us, for the, the new birth. He convicts us and converts us. He illuminates and glorifies Yeshua. Uh, he blesses us with gifts and spiritual abilities that to build up the body. But more fundamental than all of these gifts is the way in which he does it. Uh, the main goal and the main work of the Spirit is to show you and assure you that you belong to him. That you're his child. That he loves you. That's the main thing. The main thing the Spirit is sent to do. And the lack of that understanding is typically the main thing that ails you today. Um, That's the bottom line. That's our number one problem today. And that's the main thing the Spirit is is out to do. And if you realize these are the two main themes of Romans chapter 8, assurance uh, and the Holy Spirit, that means that one of the key tasks of the Holy Spirit is to assure you that you are a child of the King. Just like, like David in his bar mitzvah today, in his drash, he beautifully showed uh, that we're adopted into God's family through the Abrahamic covenant, and ultimately the new covenant in Yeshua. Uh, and in the same way, Paul here in Romans 8 is showing us that we are adopted into God's family uh, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And just like David said, we become a child of God. So David's drash beautifully intersects with, with, with the text here in Romans chapter 8. Uh, we did not plan it that way, but just... God did it. <laughs> and so whatever you're struggling with today, oh, Holy Spirit, help me with temptation. Uh, help me with weakness. Uh, help me with my lack of faith. No matter what you think you need, the truth is the most fundamental thing you need, which will help you in all these other th- areas, uh, is the assurance that you are his child, that you were bought with a price. Uh, and, the, and this will energize you in all these other areas. Now, in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit has three great ministries that are emphasized here. Uh, the first ministry is what I'm calling the ministry of, of regeneration. Uh, we'll look at Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, aren't controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to Messiah. What it means to be a Yeshua follower is that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. He lives within you. Look at verse 10, Romans 8, verse 10. But if Messiah is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The Spirit's first job is to regenerate you, uh, to quicken you, to produce the new birth within you, uh, to make you alive where once before you were dead. And, And the way he does this Uh, The Spirit's job is not simply to convict you that you're bad and now you need to be good. No. The Spirit's job is to show you that you are dead in your sins and you need new life. And you can't do this on your own. His job is to open your eyes to the promise that through Yeshua, you can belong to the Father. 
You can be God's child. You can move from death to life uh, by repenting, by trusting in Yeshua, and by surrendering your life to him. Whereby now you are supernaturally born again and you're filled with God's spirit, the spirit of regeneration. The second great ministry of the Holy Spirit is what I'm going to call the ministry of, of sanctification. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the, of the body, you'll live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The, the second ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of sanctification. Uh, again, just as David said in his Bar Mitzvah Drash, he, he challenged us to be like Abraham, uh, to walk in God's presence in purity, to circumcise our hearts. And saying the same way here, Paul in chapter 8, he's saying we need to put to death our flesh and to walk in the Spirit. Same message as David's Drash. So Romans 8.13 tells us, by the Holy Spirit, that's how you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. By the Spirit, you put to death your sin nature. And so the second ministry of the Holy Spirit is sanctification, becoming more holy, growing in righteousness, being conformed to the image of Messiah. Now, when you're simply stoically, voluntarily, or volitionally looking at something you see as sin, and you say, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it, it's kind of a sure act of your willpower. That works some of the time, maybe, it works occasionally, but that's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.13 says, By the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. You mortify your sinful flesh because the Spirit shows you more and more of your sin and also more and more of Yeshua so that we grow in repentance and we grow in faith. Uh, The Spirit shows you how Yeshua loves you. uh, And that is what actually kills sin. Because mortifying your flesh is not simply about setting your will against certain outward behaviors, but it's about going down to the level of your actual motivations, your your motivational level, and destroying your motivation for sin at the root. So, for example, let's say you're experiencing sexual temptation, although I'm sure none of you ever do. Uh, But for those one or two of you who may possibly experience that from time to time, uh, you, you say, well, I've decided that these things uh, are my standards of righteousness for sexual conduct, but I find myself transgressing them. Okay, well, why do I transgress? Oh, it's not just hormones. You can say, I'm a Yeshua follower. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And you can say, why do I keep on doing it, though? Why? And the Bible says that living according to the flesh is always sliding back under the law. That's what the book of Galatians says. That's what the book of Romans says. Works righteousness is actually a form of living according to the flesh. It's running your life uh, and guiding your life by these outward constraints, these external rules and regulations that, that are holding you back. Why? Because you haven't been transformed from within by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you want to gain victory over this temptation, you have to ask yourself, why do I keep giving in to this temptation? And the answer is always, whether you admit it or not, it's always because something else besides Yeshua is your functional Lord and Savior. Something else besides Yeshua is your mediator, your redeemer, your king. 
something besides Yeshua makes you think that today I'm a person worthy of love and respect. Uh, and that, that's why I've got to have this. And I've got to keep on doing this. But the truth is, you don't have to have this. Uh, because you can say, I'm a child of the king. I've got all I need for life and happiness and godliness. I don't need this sinful behavior. This is not my life. The point is, the way you deal with the, with the, the motivational root for any sin, uh, why are you lying? Why are you afraid? Why are you bitter? The answer is always the same. You have to see that uh, as a Yeshua follower, this thing, I don't know, I no longer need this thing. Uh, this thing's no longer going to be my Lord. And ask yourself, how then can I continue in this sin? How can I treat Yeshua this way, the one who died for me? So if you're struggling with, let's say, with bitterness, because someone has robbed you of something, and you're trying to forgive, but you can't, you can say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Uh, I won't be mad, I won't be mad. But that's pretty hard. It's like saying, I won't think of an elephant. <laughs> what are you not thinking of? <laughs> an elephant. <laughs> so sheer reliance on willpower, it doesn't work. Or you can ask yourself, why am I so mad? Why am I so angry? The same thing happens to other people. They don't, they don't get this angry. Well, what's wrong with me? Well, here's what's wrong with you. Number one, you think you're better than them. You're superior to them. Because unforgiveness always involves pride. You can't stay mad at someone if you, are hum- if you humble yourself. Number two, you're failing to see how much you've been forgiven and the judgment that you deserved. And number three, it's because you think you have to have that thing that this person robbed you of. Uh, you say, I have to have this to survive. Uh, I have to have this for my meaning in life. I have to have this thing to know that I am I'm a worthwhile, lovable person. I just have to have it. And it's become an idol in your life. Now, the Spirit doesn't tell you simply to say no. The Spirit of God doesn't say, if you don't forgive, God's going to get you. That's not what the Spirit does. That's what preachers do. <laughs> but that's not what the Spirit does. The Spirit of God's job is to floodlight, if you will, the beauty of Messiah. To floodlight it in your life and to show you that you are his child. And to assure you there's now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. And the only reason you stay bitter at someone is if you feel they've robbed you of something without which you're condemned. The only reason you keep on giving in to this temptation or that temptation, the only reason you keep on lying or cheating, or stealing, or, or, or whatever you're addicted to, the only reason you're bitter is because of the underlying motivation whereby you have made something else your functional Lord and Savior, and not Yeshua. And it's the Spirit's ministry of sanctification, uh, of mortification, to point out these underlying motivations, and, for, and to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. In this sense, the Spirit's ministry of sanctification is in many ways similar to the Spirit's ministry of justification, of regeneration. You become born again, you become regenerated when you stop, when you stop trying to be good on your own efforts and see that through repentance and, and trust in Yeshua that you can be accepted by God, you can become his child. That's what it means to be saved. Well, what does it mean then to be sanctified? It's when you're forgetting how you were saved. 
The Spirit reminds you of what it means to be saved. The Spirit brings, brings an insight to save you, and he brings you the exact same insight, by the way, to sanctify you. Because the more you repent, and the more you trust in Yeshua, and the more you surrender to him, the more you grow in him. You know, in Ephesians 5, 18 and following, Paul, Paul actually commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, if you Greek uh, nerds, it's a, it's a present, progressive, active verb. Uh, it's a continuing command to keep on being filled with the Spirit. And since it's a command, it's something you can do and something you're expected to do. It's something that must continue to be done daily. You must continually remind yourself of who you are. You must continually ask yourself, am I acting right now as a child of the King? Am I acting as if the gospel is true? Am I acting as if Yeshua is my Savior and Lord? Am I acting in accord with the Spirit or in accord with the flesh? Ask yourself, whenever you're in a difficult situation or you're struggling with doubt or you're facing a temptation or trying to decide how to respond to somebody or when you're in the middle of an argument, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of who you are in Yeshua and to remind you of what he's done in your life and to help you act in accordance with the gospel. And that's part of this process of sanctification, of going more and more like him. And that's the answer to your problems. That's how you get over bitterness. That's how you deal with sexual temptation. That's how you forgive someone who's wronged you. That's how you can overcome jealousy and envy. You remind yourself of who you are in Messiah. So the second ministry of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of sanctification. Romans 8.13. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. How does the Spirit do that? Look back at verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, the word desires here in Greek, it means to yearn passionately for. To yearn passionately for. The Spirit yearns passionately for the Son and for His holiness. And if you are filled with His Spirit, you also will yearn passionately for Yeshua. Because the Holy Spirit is in love with Yeshua. And when we, too, fall in love with Yeshua... That's how we mortify the misdeeds of the body. That's how we put to death the deeds of the flesh. There was also a third ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, first, when you're born again, you're filled with the Spirit. We see this, for example, in Acts chapter 9. Paul commits his life to Yeshua. Uh, he's converted. He's born again. The book of Acts says when he became a believer, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came into his life and indwelt him and came to live within him. And there's a second kind of filling, which we come calling the sanctification filling, as opposed to the regeneration filling. Sanctification filling, it's an ongoing matter that you have to work at. We're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's when you continually, with the Spirit's help, remind yourself of who you are, and therefore mortifying and destroying the misdeeds of the body, and destroying the motivations for sin. Being continually filled with His Spirit, so the, there are, these are the first two kinds of, of, of uh, the ministry of the Spirit. But there's also a third kind that I want to focus on right now, the third ministry of the Spirit. So the first is regeneration, the second is sanctification. The third ministry is what I'm going to call 
the ministry of high assurance and power. It's when the Spirit makes Yeshua and his presence more and more real, more and more experiential to you, uh, which transforms you more and more into his image and likeness. That's what we see here in verses 15 to 17, our passage today, the ministry of high assurance and power. Look at Romans 8, 15. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're His children. We're God's children. Now, every word in these verses is significant. So I want you to first notice this word, Abba. By Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Paul here, he's writing in Greek to Greek and Latin-speaking Romans. So why is he purposely, in the middle of this text, using an Aramaic word, Abba? Why? Well, first, in the, you know, in the Gospels, such as in Mark 14.36, Yeshua calls God his, his Father, Abba. And when the disciples heard Yeshua do that, they must have been amazed. And the disciples began to realize a very unique relationship existed between Yeshua and his Father, for Yeshua to call him Abba. We see this highlighted, for example, in John 20, verse 17, uh, when Yeshua says to, to Mary Magdalene, uh, Go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Yeshua was saying here to his disciples, my father will now be your father. And he is your father because he's my father. And they now realize they can go to the father the way Yeshua went to the father, when he cried out, Abba. Now, what does Abba mean? Oh, literally it means father in Aramaic, but it means, of course, more than that. Uh, it was used by small children as a means of affection. It was like saying daddy. Uh, interestingly, this term was never used in ancient Judaism to address the Lord God. Yeshua was perhaps the first to ever use it this way, which expressed his unique relationship to the Father. And then he instructed his, his disciples to use this term as well. That indicates that he also wants us to have that same unique relationship as well in Yeshua, that now exists between every believer and the Father. But it actually goes even deeper than that, deeper than Father, deeper than Daddy. It's really getting at a universal. Do you know what Abba really means? You know, in every language, in every culture, when small children first begin to to reach out uh, to their mother, to their father, they're, they're first told the name of the parent, there's always two things that the child does. Uh, two things about the name the child gives to their parents. First, whatever name the child gives, it has to be a syllable that doesn't need teeth to say it. <laughs> so, for example, a small infant never says tata, because infants can't say that. They have no teeth. Instead, they say gaga or baba. And, and secondly, they're not yet sophisticated enough to have two different syllables, so they don't say grandpa. They say Gaga, or Baba, or Mama, or Papa, or Dada, or Abba. So this, it's not just an Aramaic word. This is a universal language. This is expressing a primordial desire on the part of every human being at the earliest stages of consciousness to reach out for someone who's Abba, 
or mama or dada. And you know what these infants are looking for? What we are looking for as, as infants, when we reach out and we cry, Abba, we're looking for someone who loved us. We're look, we, look, we were looking for someone who loved us perfectly, who, who would love us unconditionally no matter what. Someone who was completely powerful, who could control all things in our world, who would love us to the end, who would never, ever, ever let us down. That's what we were looking for as infants when we cried out Abba, or Papa, or Mama. And you know what happened? We reached out, we grabbed a hold of some human being, but that human being has not completely fulfilled that desire behind the cry, Abba. Because we want someone who never will let us down. We want someone who will always be there for us. We want someone who can do anything. We want someone who will love us unconditionally, no matter what. Now, my kids, they reached out for Elizabeth and I. But unless they reached out beyond us, they will never fully find the desire of their heart. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans eight fifteen to 17. This is a primordial desire on the part of every human being expressed in this word, Abba. So, in Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, using this word Abba here, which is the, a, a diminutive, uh, it's an Aramaic version of the word Dada, it's expressing this amazing promise of a relationship that through union with Yeshua, that you can, and I can now have with our Heavenly Father. And that's why it was so incredible to the disciples for them to hear Yeshua talking to God like that, as a small child would, would, would talk to his father. And, he, and, here, and what Yeshua was saying, put this on the overhead, what Yeshua was saying was, you can now know God with all the confidence and intimacy with which a little child grabs a hold of his or her father. With that total confidence and utter abandon and complete surrender and, and full security and absolute trust. There's nothing like the way a baby holds you. By the time they're, they're three or four, they don't do that anymore. They're not quite as trusting any longer. <laughs> but the little ones, the very little ones, who still say Abba and Mama and Dada, because they can't say mother or father yet, they utterly trust you. And Yeshua is saying, you can trust the Father just like that. And Yeshua is also saying, the Father is indeed that one that you've always been looking for. The Father is that one. God is the one you've always been searching for. In all things. Think about this. Some of your lives in this room today have been distorted because you haven't had that uh, when you were growing up. And the Spirit is trying to to show you uh, these mistakes here. Uh, So, for example, some of you have been bitter because your father or your mother hasn't been the perfect Abba. And some of you are bitter and guilt-written and unhappy because you failed to be that perfect mother or father to your children. And maybe even some of you are afraid here today to even have kids because you're afraid that you'll let them down and you, and you won't be the perfect mother or father, the same way that you were let down when you were growing up. 
But the Spirit is saying to you today, these earthly parents were never the ones that you were really after. They can never be the perfect role models and examples because they were just temporary stand-ins. They were substitutes. Now, the best ones are, are pretty good substitutes, but only pretty good. This is the one you're looking for. Your Father in heaven is revealed in Yeshua. Indeed, Yeshua himself said to Philip, look at John 14, 9. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you all this time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so the Father is the one you've been looking for, as revealed in Yeshua. And through Yeshua, this is the one that you can have. And that's why Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again, to fear. No. You've got, you must understand the difference between the spirit of fear and the spirit of sonship. Two very different things. Indeed, two very different religions. And Paul is warning you here that even as a believer, you can fall back into this. You can slide back into this spirit of fear. And Paul is warning you against this. But here's the difference. Remember the prodigal son? You know, the younger son who, who demanded his share of the inheritance. As soon as, and, and as soon as the father, at great personal cost to himself, uh, gives it to him, what does he do? He immediately runs off to a far country. He squanders it all on riotous living. Ends up living in a pigsty, feeding the pigs. But when he came to his senses, he decided he would return home and repent, right? Do you remember what he said? He said to himself, well, my father would never take me back as a son. Well, maybe then he'd take me back as, as one of his servants, one of his hired hands. And so in Luke 15, verse 18, he says this, I'll sit back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the prodigal says to himself, I know I, I can no longer live in the house, in the big house. I'll live out in the back 40, you know, with the farmhands. I'll live in, in the servants' quarters. And he says to himself, I'll come back, and if I'm really, really good, I can relate to him as an employee relates to his employer which means I'll see him on company time. I relate to him to the degree that I perform well. He can always fire me. His love for me will always be conditional. I could never come, come back and ever be a son again. To live with him all the time. To know him intimately. To have our lives completely mesh in every dimension. To know that he loves me unconditionally no matter what. I could never attain to that again. So he comes back. He begins this prepared speech, uh, Luke 15, verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father won't let him get to that second clause about making me your servant. The father will have none of it. Now, in the same way, the job of the Holy Spirit is to show you when you first go towards religion, that's all you're asking for, is to be like a servant or an employee. That's all you want. But that will never get you to the bottom of your problems. You've got to come and see that in Yeshua, you are accepted. 
despite your performance or lack thereof. Because that self-effort that's been driving you, that's become your motivational root. That's the problem underneath all your other problems. And Yeshua says that the job of the Holy Spirit is to come and show you that God is the perfect Father. And that you can come to know him because of what Yeshua has done on your behalf. Now here's what's so amazing. What's this third ministry of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 16. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now verse 16 is saying something a bit different than verse 15. Verse 15 is actually somewhat more of the ministry of sanctification. Uh, The Spirit of God helps you see that in Yeshua you can become a child of God. And this is the way you ordinarily go about living your daily life. You're out there in life. Somebody criticizes you. You get uh, devastated. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to overcome that? How are you going to walk properly? You don't say, oh, I shouldn't be upset. I'm just going to say no to being upset. No, instead you say, I'm forgetting who I am. I'm acting as if their approval is more important than God's approval. I've got God's approval, which is the only one that ultimately matters. So you say to yourself, this is my father. And that's how you move about during the day and overcome these these problems. But sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. And verse 16 says, there's times at which the Spirit of God supernaturally does something even more. Something that's, that's wonderful. Just incredible. Paul said the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are indeed God's children. Now this word testify, it comes from, it's from the Greek word martyria. It means to be a witness. It's actually a legal word. It's painting the picture of a courtroom. And the picture is, here you, you have, you're having a normal day, and on the normal day, the Spirit is already testifying that you're God's child. So do you see that? The Spirit's testifying. Someone criticizes you. You're devastated. And you say, wait a minute. No, 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 wait. I'm forgetting I'm a child of God. I'm forgetting I am righteous in Him. I'm forgetting how much He loves me. I'm acting as if I'm not loved. I'm acting as if this person is whose verdict I need when I already have the only verdict that matters. You're testifying. But sometimes the Spirit of God comes alongside of you and testifies with you. And the picture here is kind of a courtroom setting in which there's a trial going on, and the jury is not quite sure. The verdict is in doubt. But suddenly in comes the star defense witness, a new defense witness. And this witness takes the stand and brings new information to light and breaks the case wide open. And everyone now sees the truth. And you're vindicated. And that's what's going on here in verse 16. Sometimes the Spirit comes in and descends upon you and says, yes, directly to you, intuitively to you, that you are my beloved child, and in you I'm well pleased. That's the witness of the Spirit. It's the ministry of high assurance and power. Let me give you two quick examples of what this could look like. The first is by uh, Richard Sibbs. I'll put it in the overhead. He, he writes this. Sometimes our spirits 
cannot stand under trials. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the Spirit is necessary. It comes in saying, I am thy salvation. And our hearts are comforted and stirred up with joy inexpressible. This joy has degrees. Sometimes it's so clear and strong we question nothing. Other times, doubts come back fairly soon. The Spirit doesn't always witness to us uh, by force of argument from sanctification, but directly by way of presence. As the sight of a friend's presence comforts without him speaking at all. This witness weighs and overpowers the soul. Hence rises that which Peter declares, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. A ravishing joy. Here's another testimony, second one, on the witness of the Spirit to us that we are indeed God's children. This is from a Puritan preacher, William Guthrie. He says this, I speak with the experience of many saints, and I hope according to the Scriptures, if I say that there is a communication of the Spirit, which is a glorious manifestation of God unto the soul, shedding abroad God's love in our heart. It's better felt than spoken of. It's not an audible voice. But it's a ray of glory filling the soul with God. It's exactly like that word that came to Daniel that says, O man greatly loved. Or it's exactly like the word that Yeshua spoke to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. The Lord only looked at her and said her name, Mary, and filled her soul so that she no longer doubted that she was his. Oh, how glorious is this manifestation of the Spirit. Faith here rises to so full an assurance that it swallows one up in God's presence. Wow. That's what I want. Now, how do you get that? You know, the ministry of sanctification, it's something somewhat under your control because you work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But the ministry of high assurance and power is not. One of our biggest mistakes is that whenever we sovereignly experience this grace out of, God, out of God's mercy, we try to replicate it through some kind of formula. Uh, now, the spirit of this, this special presence of the Spirit has degrees. Sometimes it comes modestly. You might be listening to a drash. You may be reading a passage of the Bible on your own, uh, or praying, or, or worshiping. And suddenly, God's Word stands up, uh, and, and it shouts out and comes at you in a fresh and powerful way, and assures you that you are his child. It might be when you're reading or listening to a passage that you've heard or you've read a million times before, but this time it stands out and it jumps off the page and it hits you like never before. It takes a hold of you and it grabs you and it says, you are my child. Have you ever felt that? If you are a believer, if you are a believer, at some point you have felt something like that. And as these testimonies point out, it's possible to experience this remarkable quality of assurance. And one of the problems is that we think we can push buttons and control it and and replicate it uh, by trying to reproduce the same time and circumstances when it first came. It's like, but it's like trying to bottle up the wind. You can't do it. Whenever you experience this sovereign move of the Spirit, your natural tendency is to take all of these occasional features and treat them as if they were causal features. So, for example, 
Let's say you, you have this experience uh, in a Pentecostal church where everybody is publicly speaking in tongues. Then you're going to tend to feel, if I'm ever going to get the Holy Spirit back again, I've got to speak out publicly in tongues. Or let's say you have this experience in a Baptist church where they sing hymns and nobody raises their voice or, God forbid, ever raises their hands. <laughs> and you feel like to get this experience back again, I have to sing hymns and I have to never raise my voice and certainly never raise my hands. <laughs> or let's say you were slain in the Spirit when you experienced the, the Spirit's power and you feel like, oh, I've got to be slain in the Spirit again if I'm ever going to get back and recapture this experience. Or let's say you were reading old, reformed, Puritan, Calvinistic literature. When the Holy Spirit hits you, you're going to say, only us reformed Calvinists will experience this ministry of high assurance and power. But I'm sorry to burst your bubble. This is the sovereign spirit of God. You cannot put him in a box. Or C.S. Lewis said, you can never get to Narnia the same way twice. The Holy Spirit is called the wind in John 3. No one knows where the wind comes from, where it goes. You cannot harness the wind. But I will tell you this. If you focus on the second ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of sanctification, of pursuing holiness and righteousness and love and Messiah-likeness, then you'll be putting yourself in the best condition to receive this third ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of high assurance and power. So ask yourself today, am I mortifying my sinful nature? Am I putting to death my flesh? Am I setting my mind on the things of the Spirit? Am I walking in the Spirit? Is my mind controlled by the flesh, which is death, or controlled by the Spirit, which is life and peace? Are you just going through surface obedience without having your heart really transformed? Your, your inner motives changed. Your attitudes reshaped from the inside out. Is your spirit testifying that you are a child of God? And is your spirit coming against in your daily life uh, the behavior that denies he is who he says he is? And that you're God's child through Yeshua by your union with the Messiah? If you're committing your life each day to dying more and more to sin and living more and more unto righteousness then this third ministry of high assurance and power will happen. And when it does, it fills you with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is the ministry of the Spirit. He comes like Yeshua says, and when he said this, Mary is saying your name. He says your name. He, he, he comes to your, your soul just so that you know that you belong to him. And that's the secret of living the victorious life in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. The music team to come on up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, today. Thank you for this glorious day, Lord, of David's bar mitzvah. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Yeshua, for sending us another advocate, another counselor, another comforter. Thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. You tell us it also at the same time the Spirit of Messiah. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to be led by your Spirit. We want to have our minds set on you, Holy Spirit. Help us take every thought captive to the obedience of Messiah. 
show us how to walk in these spirits' ministries of, of regeneration and sanctification and high assurance and power. We acknowledge you, Holy Spirit, that you are the spirit of holiness. And you call us to be holy, even as you are holy. We agree we cannot walk in sanctification unless we live in holiness. And so today we confess our sins. We repent and we turn from, from our fleshly, unholy ways. And we flee from our besetting sins and our addictions and our, and our carnality. Help us to live in the Spirit. To put to death the old man. Uh, to daily put on the new man. That we may bear the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. The fruits of love and joy and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Help everyone who walks in these doors, Lord, to put their trust in you, Yeshua, to die to self, to follow you in every area of their life, that they may experience this joy and assurance and power of the inner witness of your spirit in their hearts. And Lord, help us to then go out and be a witness for you wherever we go with boldness and with love. We, Lord, pray for revival. So, Lord, pour out your Spirit. Fill us, anoint us, empower us to be your witnesses. Make us a house filled with your Spirit so that you, Yeshua, will be glorified in our midst. We pray all this in your holy name. B'Shem Yeshua, Amen. Shabbat Shalom.